Yeah, we have flipped things on their head a little bit and we're going to be opening up with the word and we really believe that God has got something in store for us this morning and that part of our response is going to be a response in worship. And so, not just for some of us, but for all of us this morning, trust that God is going to speak to us. If I haven't met you, my name is Roland, one of the pastors here at Connect and we're continuing with the series called Behind the Curtain and this morning we're looking specifically at what happens in your life behind the curtain when it comes to devotion to God. But before we get into that, I don't know if you've read a biography or an autobiography or watched a documentary on somebody's life, whether famous or infamous. One of the common threads that you'll find when you read an autobiography or biography or watch a documentary or something like that is that whoever they're interviewing or whoever the biography is about, autobiography is about, they always want to leave a legacy. We always want to be remembered for something, whether famous or infamous. And so some people are famous. Think about modern day now contemporary example. Sia Colissi is going to leave a legacy. Two-time Rugby World Cup champion skippering the box. How do you think about someone like Steve Jobs? He's passed away, but has built a company that has impacted the world. Think about Mandela. You think about infamous people. Fidel Castro, Hitler. People who've left a legacy Their lives have been bent on establishing a name for themselves. And in some ways, every single one of us wants to leave a legacy that will be remembered. But here's the thing that I've realized and I've wrestled with as I've journeyed with Jesus. Although I'm a husband and I want to be a good one, and although I'm a father and I want to be a good one, although I'm a son and a friend and a pastor, What ultimately matters, what really is of utmost importance is that I've been known as a person who was allegiant to Jesus. It doesn't matter what my heart desires, it doesn't matter what legacy you decide to leave, if your legacy as a believer is not one of being allegiant to Jesus, the legacy is worth nothing. Anything else built on the foundation other than the foundation of Jesus is going to be like chaff burnt up. When Jesus returns, it is only a legacy built on the foundation of Jesus and a legacy of being allegiant to Jesus that is going to be worth something in the kingdom of God. I can't begin to describe to you the effect that that one simple word or those two words that are interchangeable, devotion and allegiance, has meant to me. How much it has challenged me over the past couple of years. The word allegiance, or the word devotion, has changed the way I see the gospel and what is really at the core of the gospel. It has changed the way I see the world. It has changed the way I follow Jesus. But I've discovered in my journey of becoming more allegiant and more devoted to Jesus, That this is not a new concept. This is not a revolutionary idea. This is not something that Jesus has called just me to or some elite group of super spiritual Christians. As you read the scriptures, you'll see that a allegiant, devoted life is fundamentally and biblically speaking the way in which every true believer lives. In other words, to be a Christian is to be devoted to Jesus. You don't get Christianity that isn't devoted to Jesus. You get a form of it, which Paul says to Timothy, is like having godliness but denying its power. And we'll read that just now. 
So the question I had to ask myself as I journeyed with Jesus, as I longed to leave a legacy and realized the only legacy I can leave is one of being allegiant to Jesus, I asked myself this question. Am I and are you truly devoted to Jesus behind the curtain of your life? Behind the curtain of your life, when no one else is looking, is there true, unadulterated, biblically defined allegiance to Jesus? Or are you just wearing Christianity as a badge in hopes of receiving some of the blessings and promises associated with that? Is Christianity for you about looking pious? Is Christianity for you about being acknowledged before people? Is Christianity for you just about ticking a box and hoping that your money will double? Is Christianity for you about being respected in front of your peers and your family, but behind closed doors you're devoted and allegiant to something and everything else other than the king? This is what we're going to look at today, and this is what I believe God is going to challenge us with today. And I pray that God would lead you into his presence, that the Holy Spirit would contend with your hearts, and that you'd allow him to be victorious and to draw you into a deeper, more devoted and allegiant relationship with Him. Let's pray quickly before we read together. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that it is rich, that it is deep, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, Lord, that it cuts through flesh, bone, marrow, even to dividing the heart and the soul. I pray that your double-edged sword, Lord, today would do surgical work in the hearts of people, in our hearts and in our minds, that we'd leave you transformed, renewed, challenged, Lord, to put aside apathy and mediocrity and that we would walk and where we walk would be holy ground because we carry the presence of the living God with us, devoted and allegiant to you. Yes, so unpack your word, Lord, breathe on our Holy Spirit. May your word be like fire and may we be the wood it consumes in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul had grown deeply concerned with the church in Corinth. So much so that he even says he's fearful of what is happening there. They had been led astray from the simplicity and the centrality of allegiance, that sort of passionate allegiance and devotion to Jesus that we are all called to have. That that unashamed, extravagant affection for the Son of God was being corrupted by a different gospel. So Paul writes to them, he says this, I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived you by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you receive, or if you accept a different gospel, and the one you accept, you put up with it readily enough. What Paul has this challenge for the Corinthian church. He said you were once devoted, you were once allegiant, but something happens where somebody comes and presents something different to you, makes it sound better, and like this you turn and you embrace it. Like this your affections change for Jesus. Like this, all of a sudden behind the curtain of your life, there is anything else other than Jesus happening. Anything and everything else happening. He says, I'm ashamed and I'm afraid and I'm concerned. And I want to draw you back. 
into a place where you understand what it means to be devoted and allegiant to the king. And one of the first things he says to the church in Corinth in, in church, what the Lord says to us today as a church is that devotion is nothing unless it is towards Jesus. Sincerity and pure devotion in themselves are useless if not centered on Christ. People are often described as being passionate and zealous or sincere and single-minded when it comes to many different things. Sport, business, family, friends, hobbies, you name it. Someone can be single-mindedly devoted to something, passionate about something, zealous for something. And we celebrate those qualities in people. It is even celebrated in people who are spiritual or religious. But here's what the word of the Lord says to us today. It is nothing and it is a colossal waste of time if it is not centered on Jesus. Our society applauds people for being devoted to their faith. Believe it or not, even in a post-postmodern world, a very secular society, we celebrate people who are devoted to a faith or a cause, whatever that faith or that cause might be. In fact, the latter doesn't really matter much in our day and age. In our pluralistic world, all that counts is commitment. In other words, the focus of one's faith is less important than one has a faith. That one is a believer is more important than what one believes. And we see this even within the church. People are celebrated for believing in Christianity and in Jesus, but what they believe about Christianity and Jesus is totally devoid of any scriptural substance. But this is what Paul says to the Corinthian church and what God challenges us with this morning. It cannot be like that for a Christian. Paul emphasizes we need to have a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. In other words, zeal and devotion and allegiance are an absolute waste of time and energy if its aim is anything other than Christ. So it doesn't matter what you are devoted to. If it is not Jesus, it's going to get burnt up like chaff. As you turn your affections and your allegiance towards the king, so you will build up precious stones and kingdom material that will be tested by fire and stand the test of time. You'll be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and your Savior and our King will say to us one day, well done my good and faithful servant, only when our devotion and our allegiance is towards the King. Spirituality is a sham if Jesus is not the substance. A gentleman by the name of Sam Storms, in an article that I was reading that he wrote on this issue, said this, Passion, no matter how intense or well-intended, is a meaningless vapor in the human soul if it is not awakened by the beauty and splendor of Christ and has for its goal the glory and praise of Jesus. There is simply no value in religious activity that is not Christological at its core. Every week, every week around the world, people will gather just like us in churches. Every week around the world, people will gather in synagogues, in mosques, in temples, in shrines, in homes. Around the world, people will worship and they will gather. They will sing and they will pray pretty much like we've done this morning. They will dance, not really like us, right? They will kneel down. Some will raise their hands. A few will clap. 
Others will lie prostrate in the dust on the carpet. They will read from so-called sacred texts. They will burn candles in symbolic praise. They will proclaim what they believe to be ancient truths and they will seek to apply it to their lives today. But here's what is truth, and this truth exists outside of us. It is an absolute truth. It is not subjective. It is true truth. All of that, including in the church of Jesus, is to no avail that Jesus is not the central, supreme being of their affections. No matter how deeply you believe something, no matter how generously you support it or how clearly you defend it, if the it that you are allegiant to, if the it that you are devoted to is not Jesus, it is a waste of your time, it is a waste of your life. It will be nothing. Like a vapor in the morning that disappears when the sun comes out. So here's the question that we do ask about what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. What does Paul have in mind when he speaks of a devotion or allegiance to Christ that is sincere and pure? Devotion defined at its most basic and foundational level. This is what Paul is saying. He's talking about a single-minded and altogether exclusive preoccupation with the person of Jesus and a life that pleases him. He put it into other words when writing to the Philippian church about his life and how he defines allegiance and devotion. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is death. I don't think Paul could have penned any more beautiful words about the way he lived with it. When I read those words as a young believer, they stood out to me. And for some time, I celebrated that it was maybe possible to get to that point. But I clapped my hands when I read about Paul and the fact that he was there and wondered if I ever would be there. And I set him aside as some super elite Christian in my mind. And I think we can sometimes do the same when we read scriptures like that. We can sort of set them aside as scriptures that speak about the life of somebody else and what they've achieved and what they've been called to. And somehow they've had some extra, you know, a little bit of anointing from the Lord to live a life like that. But the reality is this, church, if it was written in the scriptures, it was not only for them, but it's for us today. And when I read this comment, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul is saying the very essence of his life, the very essence of his being, the very thing that he gets up to do, the very thing that he does during the day, the very thing he thinks about at night when he goes to bed, is Jesus. He just wants Jesus. He's devoted and allegiant to Jesus. But this is a mantra for every single believer. It is a life that every single believer is called to, and we are empowered to live this life by the Holy Spirit. There is not a true believer in the church of God universally that cannot say that this should be true for their life. When you've met Jesus, he's turned your life upside down. When you've met Jesus, he's wrecked your world in every good way possible, and you cannot escape. It is undeniably in your face and true that he is the king to whom you owe your allegiance and devotion and you willingly give it to him. I don't think it was difficult for Paul to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I don't think it should be difficult for us to say that either. 
This life of devotion and allegiance that we're called to live should stand in stark contrast with a half-hearted, lukewarm, convenient Christianity that the church in Laodicea was rebuked for in the book of Revelation. This life we are called to is in contrast to that sort of Christianity that's happy to have church on a Sunday or happy to have Jesus when you're in crisis or when you're in need. Or when it makes you look pious and respectable before people. But it's soon forgotten when the curtain of our lives is drawn closed and we're no longer in the public view. Or when it becomes inconvenient to wear that tag. Or when persecution comes your way for the name and the sake of Jesus. The life we're called to stands in stark contrast to that life and to that so-called Christianity. This type of lifestyle, like I said earlier, Paul describes to Timothy and warns Timothy about. He says, Timothy, if people live this life, if they claim to be Christians and are not devoted and are not allegiant to Jesus, biblically devoted and allegiant to Jesus, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. In other words, they wear a veneer of Christianity. They wear a badge that says, I love Jesus, but quickly change that badge for something else. They deny its power. They don't live according to that name. They don't embrace life according to that name. They don't do everything they are called to do throughout the day and the weeks and months and years of their lives in that name for the glory of that name. They wear it so that their name can be elevated. And when something else comes along that promises to elevate their name even more, they quickly change the badge out for another one. Instead, church, we are called to an unswerving commitment to believing the right things about Jesus and doing the right things on his behalf. No duplicity, no divided loyalties, no double-mindedness can be allowed in the kingdom of God. Here's why. Because those who do not follow Jesus wholeheartedly are devoting themselves to something else, are worshipping idols and are essentially rejecting God. Jesus warns in the book of Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to the one and not the other. It was Jesus who said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of yourself, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I think it's cheesy, but I'm going to do it anyway. When preachers preach this type of message and they read a text like that and they remind you that when Jesus said all, he meant all. There's no Greek or Hebrew translation of that that renders all two-thirds or a half. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind and with all of your soul, he meant all of it. He meant submit yourself And devote yourself and be allegiant to Christ in such a way that he consumes every part of you. Not just at church, not just at Bible study. Every area of your life, especially behind the curtain. Especially behind the curtain. We see in the book of 1 Kings, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, he challenges the people of Israel to be devout, and in so doing, he explains in a nutshell what this devotion looks like. He says, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. 
In other words, if you want to whittle down what it means to be devoted and allegiant to Jesus into what you could maybe call the irreducible minimum, it's this, to be obedient to the king. To be obedient to the king in every area of your life, every second of every minute of every day. That's what it means to be devoted. That's what it means to be allegiant. Not just sometimes, not just every now and then. And yes, we get it wrong. But a devoted and allegiant Christian comes to the Lord and says, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. Lord, restore me. Fill me with your Spirit's power. Bring me back into your presence, Lord. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Search me. Know me. Find any offensive way in me, Lord, that is stopping me from giving you my everything. Church, you cannot half-heartedly serve or live for Jesus. You cannot serve God and live for something else. Jesus made it clear that anyone who follows him must first count the cost and decide if he will follow him completely. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. There are so many things we give our lives for. There are so many things we are allegiant to and devoted to. And as I list some of these things, they apply to my life as well. How many of us wake up four, five o'clock in the morning to watch a Formula One Grand Prix? How many of us wake up two, three o'clock in the morning if we have to, to watch a Rugby World Cup final or a Cricket World Cup final or to go to work to make money or to go fishing or wake up early to go on holiday or wake up early to go to work so we can make money so we can go on holiday? How many of us wake up early for the things that don't really matter but when it comes to spending time with Jesus or being devoted to Jesus or doing things for him? It becomes a chore. It becomes laborious. It becomes something we can very seldom pin down on our calendars having done during the day. Spend time with my king. And I think part of the problem we have in contemporary Christianity is that we've redefined the gospel to make it narcissistic and self-centered. And I wish I could preach another message on this, but we don't have time. But in a nutshell, the word allegiance has transformed my life because it's helped me to understand what's at the core of the gospel. See, when we preach the gospel to people, we say, you are a sinner, you're going to go to hell, God loves you, he died for you, put up your hand and put faith in Jesus and everything will go well for you. And we lead people in that type of Christianity and we negate to tell them, we forget to tell them that actually that part of the gospel message is a very small part of the gospel message. The entire gospel message cannot be broken down into chunks. This is the gospel message, that the promised Messiah has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus has come. He's lived the life according to the scriptures. He's fulfilled prophecy. He was crucified, dead and buried, resurrected exalted and is coming again. And because that king exists, salvation is possible. And so the core of the gospel, church, is not you and me can be saved. The core of the gospel is Jesus is king and you owe him your allegiance. That's the core of the gospel. The core of the gospel is not you get a free ticket into heaven. The core news of the gospel is that Jesus is king And you are to bow your knee. And when you do that, he is a loving, gracious, kind, forgiving God. In fact, we can call him Abba Father. The center of the gospel has Jesus at the center, not you and me. Our salvation is a side story. The glory of Jesus and the fact that he's king is the center. 
And we miss that because we love democracy. Church, we are not part of a democracy. We are part of a monarchy. We're part of a dictatorship where our good and gracious loving Father gets to dictate to us what we do with our lives because he has bought it at a price. We don't preach that gospel. We preach a truncated form of the gospel. And so people don't know what it means to be allegiant to Jesus. They don't fear God. He's just a ticket to heaven. Instead of a king who's to be obeyed, who's to be submitted to, who's to be the object of our affection and our devotion every day, all day. We give everything to God, not because we're obligated to earn our salvation or his favor, but because God is the one who's given to us everything already. And so my allegiance to him and my devotion to him is as an overflow of my recognizing that he is at the center of everything. He is my king and he's loved me. He's loved me and he continues to love me. But here's the thing that I want to warn you with and I want to end with this morning. The enemy wants to ruin your devotion. And the enemy has ruined the devotion and the allegiance of many in the church. Dare I say even in this church this morning. Let me draw your attention to the verb that's translated led astray. These two words mean something along the lines of to corrupt, to ruin, or to seduce, or to deceive, and in so doing lead you astray. And here's how the enemy does it. He does it through a variety of means, and he lies to us. He wants you to believe that the pleasure and promises that he has for you are more fulfilling than what may be found in a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. He says to you, in money, in fame, in security, in good health, in your business, in your sport, in your hobby, in your family, will be found more pleasure than at the feet of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the enemy gets you to be devoted to, as long as it is anything else other than Jesus. Even if the thing you are devoted to on the outside is inherently good. If your devotion and your allegiance is towards anything else, the enemy has won. He will deceive you into believing that the way of Jesus is hard with no reward. That it's demanding with no delight. That painful sacrifices are required with no satisfaction in this age or in the one to come. Our cunning enemy is devious and he seeks to turn our allegiance and our hearts away from the king. To turn our affections towards something else. Anything else. But I think church... If I sense what God is doing is right, if I sense right what God is doing, I think we've become tired and we've grown weary of our hypocrisy. I think we have become tired of declarations of faith and from that same mouth we spew hatred and contempt for one another. I think we've grown tired of declaring allegiance to Jesus but living nothing like that. I think we've grown tired and empty of the lack of fulfillment found in devotion to other things. I honestly do. I think some have found this to be true. And God is doing an amazing work in our church and in the church around the world. We are seeing people healed and step into life, be set free from stuff. We are seeing people turn their lives back to Jesus, recommit, commit for the first time. We are seeing people step into new levels of obedience and allegiance and devotion to Jesus. Because God is doing something. 
And so the victory is ours in Christ. No matter what the enemy intends for us, no matter how much you've lacked devotion or allegiance, it is possible for you to step into a place where you are empowered by the Spirit to live a life that is devoted and wholly allegiant to your King. This is why Paul focuses in every church he goes to, especially in Corinth, on the person of Jesus, simply Jesus. Because the blinding, breathtaking splendor of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus is enough to trump and overcome the enemy. It's enough to empower our souls to pursue and to rest satisfied in a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you are looking for, church, where you are looking for meaning and what you view and hold as the highest ethic in your life. When you look into the face of Jesus, you will find everything and anything you need. Period. So let me ask these questions, and I will finish with these questions. Behind the curtain of your life is Christ the ground and source of your joy. Is Jesus the object and focus of your faith? Is Christ the aim of your affection and the point of your passion? Are you just into religion for the ride? For whose sake are you sincere? To what end are you pure? And to whom are you devoted? These are questions we need to answer. These are questions to which a devoted believer would say, Jesus, 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 simply Jesus. I want to pray for us as we go into time of worship, but I also have a sense in my heart that we need to call people to respond. Often we are robbed of the joy of celebrating with people when God has been speaking to them because we're too afraid of what people think. There may be people upstairs, and particularly for you it's difficult because you've got to walk downstairs. and It's like an added barrier. We should have one of those fireman poles here. It would be great. <laughs> but we just have a sense on our hearts that there are people who need to come back to the Lord. Recommit their lives to Jesus. Not that you've lost your salvation, but that you've been like that son who's walked away from the Father and has squandered time, energy, and effort. And you're wondering, will God ever take me back? And the answer is yes. He's been waiting since the day you left. And this morning he stands with his arms wide open. And sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it's good to physically move into a place where you're surrendered to the Lord. And so if you're upstairs and you have a sense in your heart that you want to give your life to the Lord, you want to come back and be devoted and allegiant, I want to ask you to take the courage and bold step to walk down the stairs and come to the front for prayer. If you want to commit yourself to the Lord for the first time and you're going, I want to be allegiant to something that's meaningful, this king sounds amazing. We want to pray for you and lead you into a relationship with Jesus. And so as we go into a time of worship, I want to call you to respond. If you want to kneel, lie down, clap your hands, pick up a flag and wave it around to declare the glory of God and your allegiance and devotion to him, we want you to do that. Break off the shackles of restriction and fear and shame, especially the fear of man. Allow us to celebrate with you. What God is doing in your life, whether you commit your life to the Lord for the first time or you come and you're saying, Lord, I've squandered my time. I've walked away, but receive me back. Let us celebrate together. Let us rejoice in what God is doing. Come and chat to the elders. Come and speak to us up front. We'd love to pray with you. We're going to go into time of worship. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And as, I'm going to, as they do that, I'm going to pray. Let's close our eyes. 
Let's stand together. Father, I pray that as we go into a time of worship now, that you would turn our eyes from cheap and temporary pleasures of this world, from the pleasures of the flesh and what the enemy would offer us, and let us see your Son. Lord, as we go into a time of worship, let us see the King to whom we owe our allegiance. Lord, I pray as we begin to worship, let us be satisfied with his goodness and his grace. Lord, may we be a church who has sincere and pure devotion. And may that sincere and pure devotion be centered on him and him alone. To him be all the glory, honor, and praise. Jesus, we lift up your name. Bless you, Lord.